Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. A little over a month ago, um, I read an article in the San Francisco Chronicle that just really caught my eye. And um, I photocopied it, and I've got a bunch of underlines here. But the, the title of the article was, We're Lonely, But We Don't Want to Talk About It. And it's been a, it was a very, very interesting arc article because it talked about what's happening in our society, um, that researchers are actually finding um, that we are becoming less and less connected with people. We are more and more lonely. Some of the findings that they came up with was that 20% of Americans at any given time unhappy due to loneliness at any given moment, right here, right now, 20% of us probably feeling a little bit lonely. Almost 25% of those who surveyed said they had no one, no one to discuss important matters with within the last six months. A quarter of our population has no one. And that compares to, by the way, with only 7% of the population that answered that way back in 1985. And it's really, really interesting because they found, as they're going through this study, that there are more and more health-related physical effects connected with our loneliness. Some of the findings, listen to this. Lonely people have more micro-awakenings during sleep, leading to greater fatigue. They they actually found this. They they hooked people up and, you know, wired them up. I don't know how they did it, but lonely people are more prone to these micro-awakenings, which leads to fatigue. More sources, um, they also found lonely people have more sources of stress, leading to higher risk of cardiovascular disease and immune system disorders and increased depression and decreased motivation. There's actually a physical effect about not being together. And I love this quote. I love this quote from the article. Humans are not wired to live alone. Humans are not wired to live alone. The impulse for social connection, though it is stronger than some, in some people than others, is rooted in the basic urge to survive. The need is so great, says John Cacciapopo, who is the author here, that it is reflected in our neural wiring. It's actually how we are wired up. As individuals, we are wired up to be in relationship with other people. What I find, what I find so interesting is that we live in a day and age where we have more and more ways of relating and connecting and communicating with each other than there has ever been in the history of human, human existence. And yet, with all of that, we are becoming more and more lonely. People have blogs, you know, it's random thoughts put out there for anybody who wants to listen, you know. Um, it used to be uh, MySpace, now it's Facebook, you know. And, and by the way, just this week, I joined Facebook. Yeah. It was, uh, was, I was, you know, kind of prepping for this whole thing. And I thought, you know, I should do some research. And then we actually have a Facebook link to, we have a web Facebook um, presence on, Northgate has a Facebook presence on, how am I saying this? Northgate has a presence on Facebook. That's what I wanted to say. And so I thought, you know, so I clicked the link from our, our website to the Facebook, and I found, you know, Northgate community out there. So I thought, well, you know, everybody else is joining, I ought to join. So, I, you know, I logged in all the stuff, and I hit click, and up come this whole list of people that you can invite to be your friend. Yeah, it's just like other people that you might have a connection with, other people that you might want to be a friend with. So I went down the list, and I just, you know, highlighted everybody. Why not? You know, go for it. And... Uh, and evidently what happens is then you click, you know, send, and you, it sends out all this blanket email to all these people on that list, and they say, Ken Jensen wants to be your friend. <laughs> but here's the hitch. 
They have to accept me as their friend. <laughs> this is fascinating stuff. I have never done this before, you know? Um, so, so all week, I mean, I did this like on Thursday afternoon. Within three days, I have 67 friends. <laughs> oh, you like me. You really like me. <laughs> And, you know, at first I was really skeptical about this whole thing. And I just thought, this is just so ridiculous. But, you know, everybody else is doing it, so why not? But you know what I found? When I would get an email that says, Scott will be your friend. It was just like inside of me. I went, Scott likes me. (laughs) You know, and I would get these, Nick Martinez will be your friend. Nick, you know. It It is just so incredible how much we are really wired for relationship. We, we hunger for it. We really do. Some of us more so than others, you know, but we really do. We want to be liked. We want to have friends. It is part of the way that God created us. And it shouldn't be a surprise because God himself lives in perfect community. The Father, Son, and Spirit are one. Three and one. I don't, don't ask me to. That's a whole other sermon. and That's a whole series of sermons that we won't even answer that question. But God himself lives in perfect community. And and the whole essence of the kingdom of God is community. When Jesus was asked, what is the most important commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. Love God, love people. It is the essence of the kingdom of God. And every one of us, we could probably go around this room, and if every one of us told our story, our spiritual journey story this morning, I bet every one of us could identify three or four, maybe five key individuals that pointed us in that direction, that helped us along in that journey, that maybe continue to do that. We we have, when we do our baptisms around here, which we've got one coming up. If you haven't been baptized, you know, there's information about that. You can stop by the um, Next Step booth on the way out. But one of the things that we do in our baptism is we have people tell their story. And story after story after story, people talk about this person or that person, this friend, my mom. Sunday school, there was some other person that was influential in their spiritual journey because God uses people. That's how God works in this world. I have yet, in 30 years now of pastoring, I have yet to hear a baptism where somebody told their story and it was like, God appeared to me and a voice from heaven and that's when I turned to him. I have yet to hear that. What I hear all the time is this person, that person, my best friend, my college roommate, because God works through people. This series is the things that God uses to grow our faith. And last week, we talked about time alone with God, how essential that is. And today, I want to talk a little bit about influential friendships, spiritual friendships, because this, too, is a part of how God grows our faith. The whole theme for the series is Romans 12, too. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our, your mind, then you will be able to approve what God's will is. And if you go through the rest of chapter 12, he talks about how that happens, how your mind gets renewed. And you get to verse 9, and he says this. He starts talking about community. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. 
Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Paul's saying part of the renewing of your mind process is being in community. It's having spiritual, spiritually influential friends. And, and by the way, if you look through all the New Testament letters of Paul, just about every one of them, if not every one of them, has one section in that letter with just kind of this list of things similar to this one. And when we, we talk about them as being the one another's because that's so much what this Christian life is all about. Influential relationships grow our faith. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And he starts out with the words, love must be sincere. And a lot of times we read that and we say, well, if it's going to be sincere, then I got to feel it. And if I don't feel it, I don't want to fake it because if I'm not feeling the love, I'm not going to be sincere in it. And what Paul is giving in his instructions is love is not about emotion. Love is something deeper than that. It must be sincere. And then he says, this is what sincerity of love looks like. And there's some very, very intentional steps that you and I can take to move ourselves along in influential spiritual relationships. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. There are movements. There are specific intentional steps we must take. If we're going to experience the kind of community, the kind of relationships, the kind of friendships, the kind of spiritually nurturing and encouraging relationships that we need. And here's a couple of them. One of the big steps is we need to make the move from being a consumer to becoming a contributor. From being a consumer to becoming a a contributor. Because deep friendship requires giving of yourself. In any relationship, if it's going to go anywhere, it's not just about what you get out of it. You have to bring something into it. It requires giving of yourself. Paul said, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. He's saying sincere love is not an emotion. It's devotion. It's a commitment. It's a choice to give of yourself. And what you get out of, rela- out of a relationship is almost directly proportional to what you give to it. Or as like my mom used to say when I was growing up, if you want to make friends, you got to be a friend. <laughs> and that's the truth of it. You see, sometimes we have this idea that it's all about me and we get into the kind of this consumer mentality and we only have friends who are people like me or people who like me, who pe- people who are not much work that I can just naturally get along with. And that's just not the sense, the, the case. If it's a consumer relationship, then it's all about me. If it becomes a deep, personal, spiritual friendship, then it's about what I give to it. If I'm a consumer, see, I just shop around for the best deal. I find out where I can get the most for my buck. If, 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 if I go grocery shopping and Safeway has items on sale cheaper than Rayleigh's, I'm going to Safeway. If Target is cheaper than Macy's, I'm going to Target. I have no loyalty to anybody. It's where I get the best deal. And we bring that sometimes into our friendships. And we only gravitate to those who are easy for us to love, that we just naturally get along with. And Paul is saying, for it to be sincere love, you got to work at this. Be devoted to one another. As Christ followers, by the way, that is not optional. 
Paul writes about it a little bit earlier in the chapter. In Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member, what? Belongs to all the others. That is, a, that is an essential principle of the kingdom of God. Spiritual friendships find their commonality in Christ. He is the one that unites us. He is the basis of our relationship. And we become friends in the pursuit of God. And that, by the way, is why we keep urging people around here to get into a community group. You you just got to get into a community group. When we keep pushing it and we keep forcing it, we keep urging it, we can't make you do it, but we're going to do everything we can to point you in that direction. Because there's something that happens when we get out of the rows and we get into circles. And you can come on a Sunday morning and sit in the row and somebody just kind of lectures you and that's, well, that's all well and good. And, you know, I try to give life, ap- life application. I try to give you, you know, some practical things that you can do. But the real thing happens when you're in community and you sit around a circle and the other people in your circle say, well, this is how it works for me. Here's how I've put this into my life. See, we fundamentally believe that God speaks to everybody, not just a select few. And so the process that we encourage people to get involved in is Sunday morning where we teach and we get the, on the same page. And then you take that and during the week, you read through that passage. Read it for yourself. Get into the Bible. If you come and get only six or seven sentences a week, that's not going to help you. It might a little bit, but it's not going to do the kind of thing that it needs to do in your life. Get into it yourself. If you don't have a Bible, we'll give you one. But get into it and start reading yourself. It's part of your quiet time. It's part of praying through Scripture. We come together and get on the same page because we're community. And then we take it to ourselves and bring it into our own lives. And then we gather together in community groups and we share. We bring something to the table. And what we have done is we have put all of the questions for our community groups, we put them on our website. Every week, by Friday, you can download that Sunday's questions for that Sunday's message. You can get a preview. And if you miss Sunday morning, you can listen to the podcast and still be on the same page. See, this is, the why, we, this is why we do it this way. Because people say, why, why do we have to do it that way? Here's why. Here's why. Because we are a church body. We are together in this. We get ourselves on the same page when we gather in the large gathering. And then we take it into our own lives through our own time, of God, time with God. And then we bring what we are learning to community group. And we share it with each other. Now, we can't force that to happen. We know that. But what we can do is provide an environment where it can happen. And that's the whole idea behind our community groups. And if you are not in a community group, do it. And if you are in a community group, go deeper. (laughs) And if you're in a community group, invite someone along. Because that is the pattern. It says that the early church devoted themselves. This is what they devoted themselves to. The apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And that is the pattern that we have based our community groups on. We come together for a time of just sharing life together and, and, you know, cup of coffee or something and just talk about how's your week going, what's going on in your life. And then we take some time for studying God's word. And then we end it. Most of our groups, some switch it around. But usually the groups end then with a time of prayer. 
Because we spent some time getting to know what's going on in each other's lives. And now he's brought God's word into the picture. And maybe it applies, maybe it doesn't. But when we close in prayer, we start praying for each other. That's the pattern. And that's why we do it the way that we do it. Because you need these kinds of relationships. We are devoted to God, but we are also devoted to each other. We can't impose that on people, but we can create the environment. And that's what community groups are all about. God speaks to each and every one of us. And Paul says, keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. How does that happen? I'll tell you how it happens for me. It happens with my spiritual friends. When I lose my fervor, they boost me up. When I find myself impatient, even with them, (laughs) I work through it in community. See, if you're going to develop deep, spiritual, influential relationships, you've got to make this conscious step to get away from being a consumer and start becoming a contributor. And that leads to the next step, which is I start moving from disguise to disclosure. Let me explain that a little bit. You see, we all have walls of protection. We, we We all do. There are aspects and facets of our lives that we hold in reserve. We, we don't just put it all out there. And that is appropriate, and that is necessary. There's nothing wrong with that necessarily. In fact, in our society, you know, if somebody kind of goes a little too far in revealing, you know, what's, what do we say? TMI. There's <laughs> just too much information. I don't need to go there with you, you know. Because we all know. We all know. We keep some of those things in reserve. But the deal is that when we get into deep, spiritually influential relationships and friendships, we begin to open up. We begin to take some of the stones out of the wall. We, 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 we take down the masks that we have. Because see, here's the problem. If we don't have those kinds of friendships, we will live behind the mask. We will live. If we don't let anybody know what's really going on in our lives, if we don't show anybody who we really are, we live our whole lives behind the mask. And all of our life is about image management. God calls us to be real. There's a story in the Old Testament of Moses when he goes to the mountain and receives, receives the law from God. And when he brings it down to the people, it says... From his time with God, his face was so radiant, it was like it glowed. It was like the people couldn't even look at him because he was just like, whoa. And so he, he actually wore a veil over his face to kind of dim the brightness so, so he could relate with people. But you get into, into 2 Corinthians, and Paul says, you know what happened? Long after that glory kind of faded out, because that's just kind of a mountaintop experience, and those mountaintop experiences always fade out. He says, long after that glory had faded away, Moses kept the veil on. Why? Because he wanted people to think he was still in that glorious presence of God. That he just carried that with him for the rest of his life wherever he went. And he didn't have to be a real person. Paul says, masks have got to come off. One of the things that was interesting in this article in the Chronicle is, it says, we're lonely and we don't want to talk about it. You know why we don't want to talk about it? What they have found is, nobody wants to think that they are a loser. And if I don't have friends, if I'm lonely, I must be a loser. No one wants to be perceived as being needy. 
And if I admit that I am lonely, and if I talk about my loneliness, then I'm just letting people know, I, I got no friends, I'm not lonely, I'm a loser, nobody likes me. <laughs> and everybody is afraid of that. And so there's a lot of lonely people who are afraid to let it show. And the value of having a spiritually influential friend is we let the veil come off. We take the mask off. We begin to be real with each other. And that can only happen if you feel safe. And that's why Paul goes on and says, so honor one another above yourselves. That literally means give value to. Give value to each other. Give value to each other. Accept people the way they are. See worth in them. Give them the time and the effort that they are worth as a person. Look for it. Look for it in them. Give it to them. Pass it on. Richard Lamb wrote a book, The Pursuit of God in the Company of Friends. Highly recommend it. One of the things he writes about in this book, he says, Jesus is the tangible incarnation of God and his manner of inviting people into deep relationship with himself is the manner we have available to us today. Jesus gathered a group of people together, some good friends and brothers, some complete strangers and natural enemies, and eventually he told them that by their love for one another, people would know that they had been touched and changed by God incarnate. In fact, he says, he told his disciples that their friendships would either make or break the mission of the church, the mission, his mission in the world. That's what Jesus said. It's true. So how does that happen? Well, Paul goes on and he says, here's the thing. Here's the thing. The very practical suggestions. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. That's two really simple applications. How do I build a relationship? How do I honor somebody else? Be generous with them. If somebody is in need, help them out. Share with them what you got. Open your home. Oh, but my home, you know, it's so messy. And oh. Open your home. Because when you open your home and when you are generous with people, what are you saying? You are worth it. You are worth it to me. I'm not giving you this out of a sense of guilt or because God says I got to do it. I'm doing it because you are worth it. I bring you into my home. I invite you into my life. I use hospitality to tell people you are worth it to me. It's very, very practical stuff. This isn't rocket science, folks. He gives these very practical suggestions. And he says, when we do that, by the way, when we get together like that, when we start operating like that, when we are generous with people, when we open our homes, when we gather together, Jesus shows up. Jesus himself put it this way. Where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. But isn't Jesus with me all the time, wherever I go? Yes, he is. But he likes being in the midst. He likes midst. That's where he really shows up. And you know what I think that means? Part of what it means is that when we start extending grace and caring and love and sharing and hospitality with each other, we are doing Jesus' work. We are Jesus to one another. That's where he shows up. That's where he shows up. He likes that. He loves community. He loves community because it is the very essence of his being. And it's what he wants for his people, that we be in relationship with him, relationship with each other. And so he says, rejoice with those who rejoice, 
mourn with those who mourn. Now, how are you going to do that unless you know them? How can you rejoice with somebody if you don't know what they're rejoicing about? How can you mourn with somebody if you don't know where they hurt? See what he's saying? My wife and I have been watching a, a series on the Discovery Channel. Fascinating. It's, it, it's called um, Out of the Wild, the Alaska Experiment. And this isn't like Survivor where people get voted off the island and all that kind of stuff. This is like real kind of stuff. And what they did was they took nine people and dropped them off in the middle of Alaska in the late fall. Nine people. And, and, and they didn't tell them how long they were going to be out there. The deal was you have to get from where you are back to civilization. And they got a little bit of survival training, and that was about it. And none of these guys are like, you know, really outdoorsy kind of people. And, and, and here's the deal. They get, they get a map and a compass that gets them to the next place. And they kind of spend three days in each place. And in some places, they get a, there's actually a cabin that they can go and find warmth. Some, there was one place that was just like a, a, a crashed plane that they had a wing that they had to put their tarps over to, for survival. And, and, but here was the deal. At any time, at any time, if someone got to the point and said, I can't do this anymore, each one of them had a little transponder. All they had to do was punch the button. And a helicopter would come, pick them up, and take them away. Take them back to civilization. And in the first couple of days, two people punched out. And then the group was seven. And, and they went a little bit further. And, and then one more person dropped off. And it was down to Six. And then they kept going and they were, you know, and what happened is the, the relationships among the people really started, you, started, you started to see people take responsibility for the food and for the, you know, all of this stuff. But here was the deal. Every time somebody punched out, it made a bigger burden for the rest to carry because the same amount of stuff had to be carried. And they didn't get nice backpacks. They learned how to make what they call Yukon packs, which is just a huge tarp and you pack, pack stuff just so and you put it all together and you tie it all up and you carry it on your shoulders like a backpack. But every time somebody punched out, it was that bigger a load for the rest who remained. And after a while, they had to start making decisions like, what do we leave behind? We can't carry all this stuff anymore. And what are we going to need to continue to survive? And, and what is it that we can let go of right here and now? And they had to make those decisions because nobody could carry the burdens anymore. And one guy had a really bad back. And it got down to, there were five people. And these five people, they were like, they were so tight and they were doing so well. And they, doing, and they got to a point where there was one gal and she just said, I, she just, because it wears on you emotionally and everything. She got to this one point, she said, I just can't do it anymore. I, you know, and, and everybody's trying to encourage her and say, well, you know, just make it through the night and see how you feel in the morning. You know, maybe just tired, you know, just make it through the night, see how you feel in the morning. And they were trying to encourage her, trying to keep her in. And, and finally she got up in the morning, she says, no, I just can't do it. She punched a button, helicopter came, took her out. That next day, they made it to civilization. <laughs> one day early, she punched out. And I thought, how often does that happen in everyday life? That we're in community and things get rough and, and other people try to encourage us, but we just don't feel like we can go on and we kind of punch out. And who knows if you had stayed one more day. One more day. See, that's why we need community. That's why we need to be honest with each other about what's going on in our lives. That's why we've got to tell each other. We've got to take off those masks. And you don't do it with everybody, but you've got to have two or three people that you can do that with. And maybe they're part of your community group, and maybe they're not. Maybe you don't have anybody like that, and you can get in a community group. Maybe you can find somebody. But we need those kinds of people in our lives. 
Now, I'll give you a warning with all of this. There is a great, great danger that when you get close, you may get hurt. It's a good possibility. And the closer you get to somebody, the more chance you have of being hurt. Watch this. watch that thing all day I found that on YouTube I thought oh man that is a sermon illustration somewhere <laughs> Charlie bit me Charlie bit me that is like Cain and Abel <laughs> acted out you get close and you take risks sometimes you get hurt because that's the human condition. That's a human condition. And then we have a decision to make. And it really affects community. It really affects friendships. We have one more step to take. And that is we make the decision to move from resentment toward restoration. Paul put it this way. Live in harmony with one another. The Bible is not naive when it comes to relationships. Not by a long stretch. You know, living in harmony, that takes effort. It is not all sit by the campfire, hold hands, and sing kumbaya. It isn't. And the Bible knows that. And that's why Paul writes about this. Living in harmony, people get hurt. Living in community, people get hurt. Intentionally or unintentionally, it's going to happen. So how do we maintain harmony? We make a decision. See, the closer you get, the greater chance is that you're going to get hurt. John Orpark describes it as the porcupine's dilemma. How do you get close without getting hurt? And you can't. It's going to happen. Intentionally, unintentionally, it's going to happen because it's part of the package. It's part of the package. And what really happens is, even in the hurts, you can grow. The hurts can grow your faith. Relational hurts can grow your faith. Let me ask you, what do you think, if if I asked you this morning, what is the greatest source of conflict? What is the greatest source? I mean, if you boiled it all down, because we got conflict, we got countries in conflict, we got people in conflict, we got communities in conflict, we got all these things going, where, if you boil it all down, where do you think the source of conflict comes from? I know sin, but more specifically. I always did a lot of thinking about this this week. And you know what my answer, what I came up with? Pride. Pride. I mean, really, if you boil it all down to when there's conflict, what is it? It really comes down to bruised egos, wounded pride. And in fact, I think the reverse is true. The greatest revealer of pride in our own lives is when we get into conflict. Because you see, pride is one of those sins nobody sees in themselves. 
I see it in you all the time. (laughs) But I don't see it in myself. And I bet that's true for every one of us. And when it shows itself, it's usually in conflict. I'm angry at you. You hurt me. Wounded my pride. You cut me down. And that's why God uses even conflict as a part of this process of growth. And that's why Paul goes on, live in harmony with one another. And he says it twice. Do not be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. In case you didn't get the message. It's about pride. And you got to eliminate that from your life. And when you hold on to hurt, and you hold on to your pride, it weakens community. And you hurt yourself. And we get in our mind thoughts of revenge and retaliation. Or those of us who are passive-aggressive, we just hope bad things happen to them. (laughs) We won't do anything because that would be unchristian. We just kind of hope it happens to them by somebody else, you know? (laughs) Holding on to our hurt weakens community. And it hurts us. Do you know how a diamond gets polished? You ever watch this? You know how they cut and polish diamonds? With diamond dust. They use diamonds to cut and polish diamonds. Because it's the hardest material. And the only thing that can do it is something that's just as hard, which is another diamond. And that is how God polishes his people. And you might be a diamond in the rough. And you might be diamond dust. (laughs) But God is going to use you in your friendships and use others in their friendships with you to bring about the growth that he wants to bring about. And the only way that happens is if we make a determination to stay away from resentment and keep ourselves moving towards restoration. Paul put it this way. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Now, he's not talking about being a people pleaser. What he's saying is make sure that what you're doing isn't just what you think is a good thing. Make sure everybody's in agreement this is a good thing. And then he ends it with this. I I love this sentence. And if it is possible, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, not the other guy, not that other group of people, as far as it depends on you, because you see, this is a private discipline. This is, this is what you got to do. As far as depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Everyone? But what about everyone? But uh, everyone. I'm not saying it. <laughs> Paul. Everyone. As far as it depends on you. Now, you may not be able to do that. And and it might be that other people won't do that with you. But as far as it depends on you, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. We need those kinds of friendships in our lives. And I can almost guarantee you, you will not grow and become the person God wants you to be without Him. It just won't happen because it's God's design. Do you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California. 